Well, as Christy alluded to uh, earlier uh, this week, I put it on our Novation Connection Facebook page. There's three different pages, no, it's about five different pages that we have for different ministries, and Connections has its uh, Facebook page if you ever want to join it. And it's just a way of just kind of sharing life, just what Connections all about, fellowship. And, but I put it on there, what is your all-time favorite worship song? And there were numerous. There were some really good ones. But there was one that, that got more votes than any, and it was How Great Thou Art. So <laughs> Tanya's happy because she won. Um, many of you voted for that song. And the reason I asked that question was, we're in this series, kind of almost coming to a conclusion next week, in our series in the Psalms. And Psalms are poetic, prophetic prayers written by a lot by David and a few other authors, but they're songs. And we've titled this series, Music to Live By, because really the Psalms are powerful. They're authentic. It's a look into the human condition, into our relationship with God. It's filled with questions and, and then faith and then questions and then faith. And I think it's just powerful to read. The thing I love about the Psalms is the Psalms would have been the prayer book of Jesus. He was very familiar with the Psalms, and he would have seen himself in the Psalms as well. So um, today we're going to do Psalm 95, and Psalm 95 is all about worship. But before we get into the actual Psalm, I want to look at something that Jesus says and give some background to, to this Psalm. In John chapter 4, Jesus is goes, him and the disciples are making their way through, through Israel, and they stop in Samaria. And the Samaritan people were hated by the Jewish people because they weren't true, full blood, you know, full blood uh, Jews. They were half-breeds, so to speak. And here's Jesus, Jewish and male, and he stops at a well, and he talks to this lady who comes to the well to get water. And he begins this dialogue with her. Two cultural faux pas. Samaritan and a, a man speaking to a woman that's not his wife. And go read it to get the full context of it. It's a super powerful uh, passage. But in this passage, he tells her, he says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. That really stood out to me. The Father is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's amazing. The Father is looking to commune with people who will worship Him in spirit and truth. He doesn't need our worship. He's given us the ability to adore him, to praise him, to thank him as a way of communing with him as our father. And he's looking for those that will worship in spirit and in truth. So what is, what is worship? What does that even mean? Well, first of all, worship is an outward expression ascribing worth and value to something or someone. How many like the antique roadshow? You watch that? I don't. 
But I've, I've seen it, and I know the premise of the show. It's not Sports Center, so I'm, I'm probably not watching it. But um, I know the people will find something, you know, something in grandma's closet or whatever, and they go and this, the person will ascribe value to it. A jeweler ascribes value to a piece of, of jewelry. Worship is ascribing value, but think about we're ascribing value to someone who has infinite value in the Father and in the Lord. So when we look through the Psalms, we see several expressions of worship, and I'm just going to give you a a handful. Um, One expression of worship is thankfulness. We're celebrating Thanksgiving this week, and it's good to slow down and thank God for his blessings. And if you ever just thank him for anything, thank him for Jesus. When you thank him for Jesus, you're thanking him for every blessing. Because we're told in scripture that because of Jesus, we've been given every spiritual blessing in heaven because of him. Another expression of worship is lifting of the hands. Now, if you're new to church, you might be wondering why are people raising their hands during the song service? Um, I remember when I was a brand new Christian, first time I went to church, and I'd never been to a church where people raised their hands in worship, and I literally thought, when is the music guy going to answer all these people's questions? Because they're just sitting there, and I was like, do we all have questions at the same time? I want in on this. I'm a new Christian. I got a lot of questions. But really, the, the lifting of the hands is an act of submission. It's an act of humility. When my kids were little, you know, the little, little toddlers, and they'd look up at me and they'd go, Dad, Dad, hold you. <laughs> what they meant was, Dad, will you hold me? But they'd go, Dad, Dad, hold you. And I, I'll never forget that. It was so cute. So me as a father, a sinful man, if that moves my heart, how much does our sincere humbleness to the Father move him? And then another expression of worship is celebration and dancing. Our culture doesn't really understand that. Like, we want to be reserved because we might look foolish. But do you know that the the Hebrew word for worship that's used the most in both the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament is the Hebrew word halal. And that word means to appear foolishly clamorous. David, when he was, uh, the ark was coming back into Jerusalem, if you remember, he stripped down to his skivvies, and he, he did it's right there in Hebrew. He stripped down to his, his skivvies and he danced before the Lord. And he danced in such a way that his wife like, had disdain for him, it says. And he, she told him to stop. You're making a fool out of yourself. He said, I'll become more foolish than this, dancing before the Lord and w- what had happened. There's going to be a lot of halal worship in stadiums throughout the country today people painting their faces, stomping their feet, yelling and screaming, your team scores. I mean, that's what's going on. And yet we feel like, well, if I celebrate or get a little excited, like, I think we need to be free to be express passion for the Lord. We do it for all kinds of things. How much more is he worthy? And then to kneel and bow is an expression of worship kind of difficult to kneel on this floor. I get it, but uh, it's in your prayer time. Kneeling before the Lord privately is 
a great way to pray and feel in this posture of humility before God. Instruments. Hallelujah for that, right? We're told to to play the the ten-string lyre and play skillfully to the Lord. And I want to tell you something. This is important. Um, There's no such thing as Christian music. There's Christian lyrics, but there's not Christian music. Music is different in every culture. When we go to the Dominican and they'll play some, you know, kind of contemporary evangelical songs for their worship, but then when they get into their true native Dominican style music, it's pretty awesome, is it not? I mean, they're, they're jamming and you just feel the, the spirit in a fresh way. So music itself is cultural. And I'm praying every day that Christian radio never has a pop country sound because that's the worst music ever. <laughs> Is it? It's terrible, man. Hey, girl, dear, I hate that stuff. <laughs> Give me some cowboy music or something, real country music. Can I get an amen, Steve? All right. And then singing. When we're singing, you're expressing worship, even if you have a bad voice like me. Belt away. I hear some of you, belt away. Like, feel free. Because singing is, is something that's coming out of our heart. And then clapping. We applaud things that are good. We applaud people that are good, that we admire. So we can always give the Lord an applause, and it's not some cheesy thing that we're just going through the motions, but literally, God, you're the best. We applaud you. Second thing about worship is, what is worship? It's an outward expression, but it's also an inward experience of transferring ultimate value to its proper place. So we ascribe value to God outwardly, but then inwardly, that ascribing value to God begins to be an experience for us. That's, that is the inward experience when we recognize who he is. Man, you fall on your face when you realize how vast and how awesome is his love. And it's important when you think of worship, it's not a matter of if I will worship or if you will worship. You were created to worship. We were created to worship. So it's not a question as if, but it's who or what will I worship? Who or what will get the best of my affection, the best of my attention? Because if I don't worship God, whom I'm created to, I'm going to worship my career or money or my 401k or whatever, fill in the blank. And it's easy to give value to these things that can take place of God in my heart and in my life. So whatever or whoever gets my best And wherever I get my security and satisfaction, that's what I worship. So ultimately, we need to be getting in the habit of of personal worship, not just on Sunday, but in your your prayer life, when you're driving, in your car, work, whatever, you know, everything can be done as worship. The, The scriptures, especially the Psalms, describe different longings and desires in like a physical way, that like, I thirst for you, God. I hunger for you. Just the way when the stomach growls when you're hungry, spiritually, we're hungry for God. 
And he is the ultimate satisfier. John Piper made famous a statement that he came up with that God is most glorified when I'm most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when I'm satisfied. And I think that's a, a beautiful way of, of looking at our, at our lives. And then lastly, it's an outward expression, an inward experience, and then worship for us is a way of life. It's a way of life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do to the glory of God. Eating and drinking are pretty ordinary things. And he's saying, do that to God's glory. You do that in thankfulness. Work to the glory of God. Play to the glory of God. Everything we do can be and is an act of worship when it's offered that way to God. Everything is an act of worship. Jesus was asked in the Gospel of Mark, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? There's 613 commands in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament. Somebody asked him, they said, of those 613 commands, which one's the most important? And Jesus said, the foremost is, hear Israel. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love God with all your heart. Let him have, be, the, be, be the passion of your life with your soul, with your strength, with your mind. Thinking about God is an act of worship. Studying scripture is an act of worship. Learning is an act of worship. Love him with all your mind. It's so important that we think rightly about God. The reason we have problems in life is we don't view God right. And then when we don't view God right, we don't view each other right. And then we're mean and unforgiving and all the things that we see in the world. So his people, his followers are marked by love. And you really love God ultimately by loving people. When you love people, you're loving God, Jesus says. There's a, a book I read, and we are talking about it in our core group, um, that what does love require of me? That's the answer to what Jesus expects of us. What does love require of me in any given moment, in any given situation? And that's not easy because love is, we, we, we think it's a feeling, we're going to miss it. We're not commanded to like everyone. Can't do that. But you're commanded to love. And love is an action. So what does love going to require of me? It might re require that I forgive or that I prefer or that I overlook. What does love require? Worship is a way of life. And that way of life is love. And guess what? We're pretty darn imperfect at it, right? We are the imperfect people following the perfect Savior, but he doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants to transform us into people who reflect him as the ultimate expression of love. All right, wanted to give that background, moving into Psalm 95. To worship the way the Father wants, I see in Psalm 95 um, a few things that I think are going to be important for us. The first thing I, I need is I need community. If you're going to worship the way the Father wants, you need to be in community. You might think, well, 
I thought worship's an individual thing. No. You worship individually all week long to come together with your church family to corporately praise and worship God. They go together. They're not, they're not two separate things. It's a, it's a preparation for transformation in corporate worship. Let me show you why I believe that. Psalm 95, come, let us, not me, but let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with a song of thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him in songs with instruments. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. The Father's looking for those that will worship in spirit and truth and in community, connected to his body. Second thing is, I need truth. I need truth. And thankfully, the Lord gave us the scriptures and preserved those. Um, it's important that we understand that his preservation of the word is, was for our benefit so that we would find Jesus. The psalmist in Psalm 95 continues, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hands, hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. How do we know that's true? How do we know that's true? Because he's true. He's the truth. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He said that the Father's very words were truth. And so we get to know God through these expressions here of truth. When you think about truth, truth is whom we are worshiping. Who am I worshiping? What David just described here, the psalmist just described, that's who we're worshiping. Remember a couple weeks ago when we looked at the size of the universe and how vast it is and how beautiful those pictures looking back down on the earth from the moon were. As we see the vastness of the Lord, we're like David and say, what is man that you're mindful of us? And yet we're the objects of his affection. That's amazing to think about. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. The creator the creator and sustainer of all things. I, I recently came across this exercise to read scripture better. And the apostle Paul in Colossians chapter one makes a very amazing statements about who Jesus is. Like Jesus is a big, big deal. And he is the creator, sustainer, redeemer of all things. And so in Colossians You've probably read this, but when you read it, not from Paul talking about Jesus, but as Jesus talking about himself, it's powerful. It's Colossians 1, 15, beginning in verse 15. Listen to this. I am the Im image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by me, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through me and for me. And I am before all things. And in me, all things hold together. And I am the head of the body, the church. I am the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything I might be preeminent. 
For in me are all the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell, and through me to reconcile to myself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of my cross. That's powerful. That moves my soul when I see the vastness and awesomeness of Jesus. And yet he wants a relationship with us. The creator of the universe says, I want you. I came for you. So tr tr truth is about whom we worship. Truth unites the community. We're not going to agree on every interpretation of Scripture. We're not going to agree on every secondary issue. But the majors, the Apostles' Creed, these, who is Jesus, who is God, we, we agree on that. And that truth unites all believers, past, present, and future. It unites us. So I need community to worship the way the Father wants me to. I need truth. And then I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. Now, I want to encourage you, too. Um, when you pray, don't ask God to be with you. He's with you 24-7. Try to train your, your, your language in your prayer to, Lord, help me to recognize that you are with me. That's a game changer. When you recognize he's with you all the time, 24-7. You see in Scripture that God has always had his sacred space. In the Garden of, the Garden of Eden was a sacred space where his presence was tangible. And then in the tabernacle in the wilderness... His presence, was, that was his sacred space. And ultimately, the temple. And I know God is everywhere at all, all times, but he does have these sacred spaces. And guess what the new covenant says about you and I? You and I are his sacred space now. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're told. So he's with you 24-7. And I need to recognize him and acknowledge that if I'm going to worship the way the Father wants me to in spirit and in truth. 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. Some translations say, do not put out the fire of the spirit. But if you can think of the spirit inside of us is a fire that we need to continually stir up. And our worship is the, the heat that comes off of that, that fire. And then when you read the Word of God, it's like putting more wood on the fire. When you pray, you're stirring the fire up. And he says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't, don't let that fire die down. There's a difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermo thermometer just tells you how hot or cold something is, a room or, or water or whatever. A thermostat, you get to turn the heat up on that. It's becoming winter. I'm sure more and more we're cranking up the heat. Well, when we come together in worship, be a thermostat. Uh, yeah, be a thermostat. I thought I said it wrong for a second. Not a thermometer. Don't come in and, and check the room. Uh, no, come in and let's, let's fellowship. Let's worship. That's what the whole point is not to do a duty on a Sunday morning or just to sing some songs or hear a, hear a message. It's for us to stir one another up. That's why we're told in, in the book of Hebrews, he says, don't get in the habit of not meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Anything we've all learned through COVID and lockdowns and then post-COVID churches, 
Jammy church is pretty comfortable. Pastor Pillow preaches a nice message. He really does. We call that bedside Baptist. Um, it's, a, it's the most popular church in, in the world because the act of coming together it's Sunday, is, it's difficult. But there's a reason that goes more beyond just you know, doing a, a churchy, churchy thing. We, we need this together to be stirred up. So spirit is how we worship. And then lastly, to worship the way the, the Father wants us to worship is I need to rest. I need to learn what it means to rest. Man, that's my, my word going into the new year is rest. Jesus said, come to me and you'll find rest. Now, the rest of Psalm 95 I've chosen to read out of the message translation. And I don't recommend you read the message all the time because it's a paraphrase. But it does have some, a unique way of helping passages be a little more colorful sometimes and, and understanding that. The guy that interpreted, uh, translated Eugene Peterson is brilliant in both Hebrew and Greek. So it's not like you're reading something bad. But when you're reading from a, a, not a paraphrase, you're probably getting, you're going to get more out of it. But he says this, he, he quotes this psalm this way, he says, drop everything and listen. Listen as he speaks. Don't turn a deaf ear as in the bitter uprising, as in the day of the wilderness test. He's talking about the children of Israel 40 years in the desert. When your ancestors turned and put me to the test, for 40 years, they watched me at work among them as over, over and over they tried my patience. And I was provoked. Oh, I was provoked. Can't they keep their minds on God for five minutes? Do they simply refuse to walk down my road? Exasperated, I exploded. They will never get where they're headed, never be able to sit down and rest. That sounds like a pretty harsh rebuke. And it is. It's a harsh rebuke for the children of Israel for they always wanted to go back to Egypt. We had it better in Egypt as slaves. And we say dumb things like that if we really analyze our lives. When, when circumstances don't go our way or difficulties, it's, we start to question. And over and over, God did miracles for the children of Israel and they would complain. It's not good enough. It's never good enough. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 takes this psalm and he interprets this for us in a way that there is a rest for those, for, for those of us that are going to walk in faith in Jesus. There's a rest that goes beyond circumstances and difficulties. There's a soulful rest. And we live in a world where we're so busy, go, 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 and things, and the news, and, and it just, it's hard to find rest, soulful rest. But the Father wants you and I to enter into that rest. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, for those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. What a cool promise that is. That faith, when we trust Jesus, that he's got this, and that he really did live, die, rose again, 
that he gave us salvation, he gave us hope, he gave us peace, he gave us true joy, we find rest. Our Father wants us to worship him by resting in his perfect love and rest from our self-effort, religion, legalism, and works. He wants us, that doesn't mean we, we don't put effort into our lives or our walk, of course we do. But we work from a place of rest. It's paradoxical in nature, but we, we live from a place of, Lord, I'm resting. My soul's at rest in you. Jesus gave a great invitation. The end of Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden. You'll find rest for your souls. This morning, if you're weary from life, circumstances. Let's find rest in him. So what we're going to do is put into practice what we just talked about. We're going to go into a, a worship classic, Here I Am to Worship, and I, I want you to invite you to stand up, and you can stand up with me. <laughs> that meant now. <laughs> My bad. Um, let's express our worship outwardly, and let's experience inwardly. And then let's go from here as worship being a way of life. Created all for love. 
how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross and I never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross no I on when we first started singing. I don't know. I just wanted to join in, harmonize with you. Told you you don't have to have a good voice. I just was demonstrating that. Would you just put your hands out in front of you in a posture of receiving a blessing from the Lord? May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and give you his peace. As you leave this place, may your heart's our hearts be warmed with the truth of the Lord Jesus. May you find your identity and self-worth in what he has done for you and who you are because of him. May you not fall into the snare of the evil one to get your eyes off of Jesus and what he's done and focused on this world, but may your eyes stay focused on him. May your relationships your marriages, your families, your friendships be blessed with the knowledge of Jesus and who he is. May it permeate the way you speak and act in love. And may hope, the hope that we have because of Jesus, fill and flood your minds, your hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen.